right, hey, we're going to start. So if you're giving your offering, getting coffee, make your way in as soon as you can. For the rest of us, let's just say it together. This really helps get the crowd moving. Let's say, it's time, it's time. to start. All right. So we're doing a uh, teaching series on higher vision since it is the first of the year. And last week, uh, we did a lesson, a message on uh, a vision for the family. And today, we're going to do a, vis- uh, a message on vision for spiritual growth. How many knows it's important to grow, right? Say this with me. Everybody ends up somewhere. Few people end, end up there on purpose. You're going to end up there. You're going to end up somewhere. But very few people end up where they want to be on purpose. The Bible would put it this way. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, people are literally means without restraint. They have nothing to, con- to, to direct them or contain them or to, to push them forward. So it's one of the most important aspects of Christian life is to become born again, and then we, become, we come into Christ, and then we grow. So here's 2 Peter 3.18. We're going to come back to this verse in a little bit, but we'll read it out together. And it says this. Let's say it together. I must grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you can stop right there. Because to him be all glory now and forever. Growth is necessary. Growth is essential to the Christian. It's essential. Hebrews 6.1 says this, Therefore, let us leave behind the elementary teachings about Jesus and let us press on to maturity. If you're 40 years old and you're in fifth grade, that's a little odd, isn't it? Would anybody say that's weird? If you like walked into your kid's like fifth or sixth grade class, your elementary school class, and there was a bunch of like 40, 50-year-old people sitting in the room, you'd be like, what's going on here? People that didn't make it out of elementary school, yet we have lots of Christians and lots of people who are still in an elementary school. And I would even argue, and I said this first service, there's lots of believers who don't even know their primary colors. And so essentially, they have, they're still in kindergarten. They don't even know one plus one equals two. They don't know red, blue, green. And what I'm trying to make out of showing you that point is that God wants us to grow. You are designed to grow. You are not designed to stay the same. Even as a Christian, you're called to grow grow from glory to glory, to continue to grow. And so we have to leave behind the elementary teachings of Christ and press on into maturity. And what happens a lot of times is we tend to focus and center only on these little small things when God has this entire new world that he wants to expose us to. Next slide. Spiritual growth. So we're to grow and we're to mature as Christians. It's his will. Right? It's his will. The problem, the church is the agent of change within the world. That's what we are. See, the good thing about the Lord is he calls you who and what you are. He calls us who and what we are long before we get there. He called, we're world changers. We're more than conquerors. And so he tells us that. Even though we're not operating that way, or even though we're not even close to being that at times, he tells us what we are long before we get there. He calls us from where we are and points us to where we need to be. And so we are to grow and we are to mature as Christians. And we have a lot of arrestedly developed believers. This is why the church cannot affect change within the world. This is one of the reasons why the power of God does not operatively flow within the life of the believer. Because we are not growing in maturity. So spiritual growth has nothing to do with your position. 
or it has nothing to do with your salvation. When you come to Christ, you are converted into Christ instantly. But that doesn't mean you're mature, right? You're born again. You're born into Christ. What the Bible uses these crazy terms like translated. It says you were translated out of darkness and into light. Transferred, reinterpreted, redefined. That's what Jesus does for you. That's good news. Jesus reinterprets you. Aren't you glad? Jesus redefines you. What does that mean? Nobody has the right to interpret you but the Lord. Nobody has the right to define you but the Lord. And God calls you something and someone far beyond even what you think or believe you are. People say, you're a loser, you're always going to be a loser. Jesus is more than conqueror. Outcast, you don't belong here. Who are you? You're no one. God said, son and daughter, heir to the eternal kingdom. He calls you and reinterprets your life. He calls you even beyond what you think. And what we do oftentimes is we tend to gravitate in our identity based only upon what others have told us or based upon what society has told us or based upon what family has told us or even worse, based upon what we say of ourselves. We tend to think that's, the only, that's our identity. The Bible says this, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. That can relate it several different ways. And one of the ways, with the way that what it's intending, is that when you're, in, when you're self-condemning and God said he's forgiving you, he's saying you're in a position that is, been, that, is, that is outside of God's will. Because if your heart is condemning you, God's greater. And if he says he forgives you, then why are you walking in condemnation when he tells you there is none? And you can apply it the same way. If you have a self-condemning identity or a self-defeating identity, God's identity is greater than yours, and he is not condemning you, and his identity for you is not self-defeating. So why are you living out of a self-defeating attitude when your father does not see you that way? Amen. Come on. So spiritual growth has nothing to do with position. You're converted, translated, reinterpreted, redefined. Some of you today, this week, your prayer should be, Lord, what is my redefined identity? Reinterpret me, Lord, and help me understand your new interpretation for me. How do you see me? How does heaven see me? He has rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness, transferred, translated us into the kingdom of his son. You're no longer in darkness. You're in light. You're no longer in guilt. You're in, you're in forgiveness. You're no longer in shame. You're clean. You're clean. You're no longer a slave. You're, you're, you're free. Amen. In Jesus' name. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with position. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you look at the Greek and go back into the original language, it's talking about someone who didn't exist before. When you come to Jesus, you become someone that you... It's not a new version of your old self. You are an entirely new person. That's why if you understand the born-again experience, because it is an experience... When you're born again, bam, whoa, colors, smells, sights, sounds, language, music, everything is enhanced. It's as if everything is new. Why? Because that's brand new. You've been, you've been transferred, translated. All things are now new. And it's, that's when you're in the spirit. So, so we come into the atmosphere of worship, and you guys start worshiping. And when Jody's leading, you know where she's trying to take you? You know what she's trying to do? You guys watch, her, watch the way we do music here? We're not trying to get you to sing songs. We're trying to move you into the spirit. Amen. We're trying to connect you with the real you. Amen. We're trying to connect you with the true identity of who you are in the spirit. We're trying to connect you to your heavenly father who's in the spirit. They that worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in sing song. Sing, nothing wrong with sing song. 
But we're to worship in spirit and truth. So we're drawing you into the spirit. And when you come into the spirit, you're like, wow, I feel so good. That's the real you. You guys should walk out of here free, understanding that that ugly you is not the real you. And we all got an ugly you, okay? We all got that. Maybe tomorrow morning you're going to be like, oh, no, I don't have an ugly you. And then you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to see the real ugly you. But in the spirit, that's not who, that's not who you are. You are, you, this is who you are. You are free, you're beautiful, you're alive, you're well. But your spiritual maturity has nothing to do with position. You can be in Christ and still not be mature. Just because you're immature spiritually does not mean you're not saved. So your position is secure in Christ. But in that position, God calls us to maturity. He says we're raised up with him and we're seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? You're in a position of spiritual authority, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. What does that mean? Isn't that the question? Really, isn't that the question? Do you know when the Bible says these difficult things, you know what it's daring you to do? You know, it's daring you to do something. Ask me what that means. Press into that. But what we tend to do in our American church, we treat it all like it's a poem. Oh, thank God I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. What does that mean? I don't know, but that just really sounds good. I like the way it rolls off my tongue. What does it mean to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Press into that. What does that mean? Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, in every name that is given, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue can confess. You are seated above all principality, power, might, and dominion. You have absolute total, complete spiritual authority. You've got the badge of badges. You may not know how to use it, but you've got the badge of badges. You didn't earn it. It's yours. It's yours. Anybody watch the new Star Wars? So I'm going to get some haters right now because I'm going to go off into Star Wars, right? Okay, and I might, I might actually say something. I like Star Wars, but I'm going to say something. Okay, here's my problem with the new Star Wars. Okay, so you can boo me down. You can want to lay fists on me afterwards. Okay, whatever. I like the old Star Wars because if you had a lightsaber, you had to literally learn how to use it, okay? You didn't just pick it up and start going toe-to-toe, right? And okay, somebody's like, well, the, the new Star Wars, the girl's technically a Padawan, so she was in learning. Yeah, but what about the other dude, right? He said he was a janitor. That's what he said. And now he's picking up a lightsaber, and he's like dueling it out. He never, you know, how did he learn to wield that? Maybe the news story is going to tell us, so we'll just have to wait and see. My point on this is, is that they were given something insanely powerful, but they had to learn to use it in order to be effective with that. Christ has given us so much that is insanely powerful. It's insanely powerful, and we don't know how to use it. We barely even try to see if it works. We don't even want to go there. But he has trusted you with insane power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not just power, dunamis. It's not dunamis, explosive power. Yes, that's one translation. But it's dynamo. It's a power that perpetually generates. Holy Spirit is a dynamo who is in you to perpetually generate kingdom power. What's the essence of that power? Romans 1. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Resurrection power. The essence of all life is flowing through you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I don't be pressing into that. We're learners. 
We learn that. What does this mean? What does it mean to be seated in heavenly places? What does it mean to have this level of authority? Not only what, okay, what's it, so I have authority. What would the Lord have me do with this authority that he's given me? What would the Lord have me do with the Holy Spirit that he's given me? What would he have me do? Those are the operative questions. This is how we grow in Christ. This is what takes the average Christian into the exceptional. When you begin to engage with the questions, what does this mean? Okay, what, not do I want to do with it, what does he want me to do with what he has given me? Now we've got something working here. Now we're tracking in a good, now all of a sudden the kingdom's starting to move in your life. Now you're asking the right questions and you're going down the door. And if you watch Jesus, very few people asked him a question because everybody wanted to pretend like they knew it all. But when they, some of the deepest knowledge we get out of the scripture is when Jesus, when someone asked him a question and he answered it. We get some of the deepest insights into the kingdom because somebody actually had the guts to ask a question. So we should ask questions. I'll give you a little side note. I teach this all the time, but it's because it's foundational to what we teach here. You're made as a question. God made you as a question. Your word is human. The, the word human is rooted in the same Hebrew word as the word manna. Same root. Manna in Hebrew is what? So God made you as a what? What am I? What is my purpose? What do you want from me? What am I to do? Where am I to go? You are made, literally, designed by God to be a question. And you know why? Because Jesus is the answer. That's why we're constant. Why do you think people are constantly studying all, you know, we're, we're always doing all these crazy explorative things and always going off because we're designed to be a question. And it seems that every sphere of life, you're, you're allowed to ask a question, except in church. We're to ask the Lord questions. I don't question certain aspects about him. I believe him. But I ask him questions, and we engage him in question. That's how we become, because you were created that way. Next slide. So spiritual growth has nothing to do with position. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with, you, you do not, just because you're born again doesn't mean you're mature. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with God's love. You're loved, whether you're mature or immature. You know, whether you can run a marathon or you, you can't do anything, it doesn't matter. God still loves you. God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if he died for you when you didn't know him, how much more does he love you now that you're justified by his blood? So love has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. You're loved and accepted. You don't have to mature, you get to. Love, maturity has nothing to do with your position and it has nothing to do with whether or not God loves you. Well, God doesn't love me because I'm not mature. That has, that's, no. We're equal in love. We're not, this is, the, this is the concept of the gospel. We're equal in love, we're not equal in intimacy. God does not have favorites, he has intimates. Intimates. And guess what? You're all called to be intimate with him. He invites you all, not just into the room. He invites you to the table, and he invites you like John. Put your head on my chest if you want to. Learn my heart. That's who he is. So we're not, we, we all may be equal in our ability to access him, but not all will want to access him that way. Why? Who knows? Who knows? But you're all invited into intimacy. Everyone is equally loved, but not everyone is equally intimate with the Lord. And what does intimacy take? Well, press in. Press in. Press in. Women understand intimacy really well. 
They, they're taken from the rib of man. I always tell guys this. It's like, she just wants to know everything about me. She wants to know where I'm going, what I'm doing. She wants to know everything about me. You know what I tell them? I'm like, God took her, God took her from the rib right next to the heart, and that is exactly the place she wants to go. She wants to go right back to the place that she was taken from. She wants to be near the heart. She wants to know. And so guys get really annoyed at that. But what the woman is good at is she's good at intimacy. She understands elements of intimacy far more than men do. They want, to know, they want to know your heart. Where are you going? What do you care about? Why do you like that? What's going on? You know, it's just always that. And it's a challenge, but we have to understand that she's wanting intimacy. Into me you see. So that's, that's the point. So we, we learn intimacy. We press into the heart of God. So God's, God's uh, spiritual uh, maturity has nothing to do with God's love. He loves you. He invites you into his heart. Not all will go there, but you're invited. Spiritual uh, maturity has nothing to do with knowledge. We have lots of Christians who have profound knowledge of the word of God, and yet they're not mature. Can I get a witness? The Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So you can know the word of God up one side, down the other. You can quote the law, the prophets, the writings, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the apocalyptic books. You can quote them all. You can give me chapter and verse, street address. You can tell me dates of birth. You can do all that stuff. But if you don't have maturity, it's not profitable. We wield a sword with the word because we don't understand the grace of the spirit and how to apply the word. It doesn't mean we deny the truth of the word. It means we apply the truth of the word with grace. The letter kills. It's like a sword. We hack people with it. But the spirit gives life. So the spirit with the word is grace applied. So you can have a lot of knowledge, but that doesn't mean you're mature. You can have the Holy Spirit and manifest gifts, but that doesn't mean you're mature. You can call fire down from heaven, I told first service. It doesn't mean you're mature. Because gifts do not testify of maturity. The manifestation of spiritual gifts are not testifying of an individual maturity. They're testifying of the gospel. So when healing is manifested and words of knowledge are manifested and prophetic words and all of the gifts of the spirit, whatever they may be, are manifested, it doesn't mean the person operating in them is mature. Now, they may be, but it doesn't mean that they are. Because, again, the gifts are testifying of the gospel. So when the gifts are manifesting, the, the gifts are not saying this person is mature. That's why people get all weird with the gifts and everything, because we got a bunch of immature people going, woo, you know, going, using the gifts all over the place, which is fine. They're gifts, but they're not toys. I mean, we can play with them. We can have fun with them. We can do all that other stuff. I'm not, I'm not against that. But the point is, is to understand the maturity that lies behind what we've been given. Just saying. So that's why people get a little strange with that, because the, the gifts are not saying the person is mature. The gifts are saying Jesus is real. Amen. That's the point. So when someone is healed and their hands are laid on and somebody gets healing, and we believe in healing because Jesus still heals, they say, well, I don't know about that. My pastor before told me Jesus doesn't heal. Well, you're, you know, who told you that? Who, your Bible doesn't tell you that. Nowhere in your Bible does it tell you that. Prophetic word is as live today as it was then. It's in a different form and it's in a different function, but prophetic word is alive. Words of knowledge are alive. I was standing right over here, second service, or first service, and the uh, family was visiting from Tampa, and they had their two kids with, with them. And, and I looked at the kid. I go, uh, are you a musician? He goes, yeah, I'm a guitar player. I go, you play worship? He goes, all the time. And I just started giving him his word. I looked at his friend, and I looked at his brother, and I said, are, are you an artist? And he said, no, I'm a drummer. I go, you don't do art at all? And his brother's like, this kid, he goes, he's an amazing, he draws, like, amazing. And so what did I do? I took the words that I felt like God was giving me for them, and I was trying to steer them in the direction that the Lord would have. Words of knowledge. How did I know that? Did I just, did I just, did it just, 
did, did the guy have musician written on his shirt? No, the Spirit of God was telling me he's a musician. Spirit of God kept seeing artistic creativity with the other one, and I kept seeing drawing. I said, do you draw? I said, are you an artist? He said, no. I said, do you draw? He goes, yeah, he draws. He draws really well. And I kept feeling like his gift, what God was calling him towards, was create creativity, development, creativity. That's what I was telling him, press into creativity. So again, how did I know that? It's called a word of knowledge. You all have it. You may not be developed in it, but you all have it. You, my sheep hear my voice. What does that mean? If today, if you hear what the Spirit says to the churches, Spirit is speaking, okay? Word of God is speaking. Jesus is speaking. Spirit is speaking. We have to develop what Solomon called a hearing ear. That's what he asked for. Say Solomon asked for wisdom. If you go back to the original language, he isn't asking for wisdom. He's asking for a hearing ear, a discerning ear so I can discern your voice when you're speaking. Wisdom's in the voice of God. When God speaks, wisdom's here. And then, you know, God doesn't have to go out and find wisdom. He is wisdom. His word, word, wisdom just, if he says something, it's wise. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to negotiate whether or not what God just said was wise or not. It's wise. Okay? <laughs> so it has nothing to do with knowledge. It has nothing to do with activity. Spiritual development, spiritual maturity. You can be really active and still be immature. Paul looks at it this way. He says, I'm not running like someone who runs aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer who beats the air. In other words, there's lots of people who are super active but don't really possess maturity. And so there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with activity. There's nothing wrong with understanding God's love. There's nothing under wrong with understanding his position, your position in Christ. All of those things are essential, but they do not mean that you're mature. Spiritual, let's say this together. Because identity is huge in the kingdom. Huge. If you solve the identity problem, you're going to solve just about every other problem that you're going to face in life. It's true. We do the things that we do because we don't understand who we are. We have dysfunctional behavior because we really don't know who we are. We see ourselves not as heaven sees us. That's why we operate in behaviors that are outside of our identity because we don't understand who we are. And we don't know how to live in our new, new identity. What is spiritual growth? Let's say it together. Spiritual growth is a process in line with my position. So understand this, God's positioned you. You are a son and a daughter. You are positioned. And what are you doing? You are growing into line with what it means to be a son and a daughter. And that means a lot. It means a lot. It means Jesus is daddy. Okay, great. It also means that you have a responsibility in the kingdom of your father. The sons and daughters are to expand their father's business. If you want to be a real mature son and daughter, it's not just knowing God as father and working on the intimacy factor. That's big, but it's also working on the responsibility factor. Sons and daughters were responsible to expand their father's business. That's what it means to be a son and a daughter. So spiritual maturity means this is my identity, this is what God means for me in my identity, and I need to grow in line with who God tells me I am. That's what it means to spiritually mature. First John says this, okay, there's a progression. Little children have basic understanding. He says, I write to you, little children, because you have known your sins are forgiven. And he says, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one, and the word dwells in you richly. Then he says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. What is he talking about? This is a, this is a progression of, of, of spiritual development. People who come to Christ, and that, there are people that are like this, and you're and wonderful people, because we all go there. But God has not called you to live here. I know, all you know is Jesus has forgiven you. That's all you know. All I know is Jesus has forgiven me. 
and Jesus is alive in me, and my sins are forgiven, and I love him, and he loves me. That's amazing. You've, you're in the kingdom. You've entered the kingdom. But the Bible would call you a little child. You say, well, I'm supposed to keep my faith as a little child. Yeah, keep your faith as a little child, but your maturity level is not to stay as a little child. You're to grow. The young person understands, what does he tell them? You've overcome the evil one. The young person, which is a process of maturity, they understand the authority of the kingdom. They understand the seated position that they've been given. You have overcome the evil one. You understand authority. You understand who you are and what your rights are. You understand what's been given to you and what's been promised to you. That's what it means. And the word dwells in you richly. Well, how do you overcome the evil one? And how do you know what's been given to you? And how do you know that? Well, the word must dwell in you richly. Again, it's a process of maturity. Then he says to them, fathers, because you've known him from the beginning. What is that? Or mothers. And that's intimacy. So it's enough. We know Christ is Lord. We grow in our position. We understand who we are. We understand the promises of who we are. We understand the richness of his word. And then we grow in intimacy. That's the highest point. And I would say that the church is very void in our generation of fathers and mothers. You say, well, what is a father and a mother? A father and a mother that is the one who has grown, not just in, in simple understanding, in greater understanding, but now into intimacy. Psalm 103, I think it's verse 7, God says, Israel, I showed my works, but to Moses, I showed my ways. There's an entirely different view here in play. It's the difference between seeing God's works and knowing God's ways. Big difference. Moses was qualified to be a father to these people because he understood the ways of the Lord. And so God is wanting to raise up a generation of fathers and mothers who understand the ways of the Lord. And the reason that we're the fathers and mothers are to understand the ways of the Lord so that they can bring others into maturity. Brothers and sisters fight with each other. Can I get a witness? Hello, right? Brothers and sisters fight. Jealous, bickering, that's mine. You got more French fries. I heard now you took my toy. Oh, you know. Brothers and sisters fight. Brothers and sisters are jealous. Why does he get that? Why does she get that? Oh, you love her more than you love, you know, the whole thing going on. Fathers and mothers bring the children into the house. Fathers and mothers develop the child into destiny. And so while we are brothers and sisters, the Lord is looking to raise up a generation of fathers and mothers who knows the ways of the Lord in order to take people into destiny. Fathers and mothers are essential within the house of God because the father and the mother bring the people into destiny. If you look at the prodigal son, you know, what, what's going on in that whole conversation? You see the relationship between crazy wild son and then you see jealous older brother and they're bickering and fighting. And what is the father trying to do? Come into the party, bringing him into destiny. He took the broken son and said, come into destiny. He took the faithful son and even though the son was faithful, he still refused to come into destiny. That's the problem with the sons. The sons would not come into destiny. That was what the father was trying to do the whole time, was get him into destiny. The wild one said, no, destiny's over here. I'm going to go wild. Woo. Oh, there's no destiny here. Then the other one said, no, destiny's over here. I need to keep all the rules. Oh, there's no destiny over here. The father said, destiny's in the house. Come into destiny. And so God is looking for maturity. This is why maturity is essential, because the church as a whole is a family. That's why it's essential that you grow and develop, because you need to grow and develop someone else. Right? That's the point. Next slide. Our position is authority is an, is an authority position. It's a position of eternity. It's a position of responsibility. I won't go into that, but I will go into this. 
This is what it means to grow. Grow, and how do we grow, and what does spiritual maturity look like? Is there a defining term that we can understand? Yeah, this one, 2 Peter 3.18, this is an easy one. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory and forever. What does this mean? Well, we got to go back to the language. Let's look at the words. What does grace mean, and what does knowledge mean? What is the Bible telling us to do here? It's telling us to grow in grace and grow in knowledge in order that we may glorify God. That's what it means to mature. So what does it mean to grow in grace? Well, this is what we do, because it's all for the glory of God. And we, we grow in grace by, by beholding the glory, by pressing into the glory. So this verse says, but all we with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed by the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does it mean? It means mirroring. We look into the glory of who he is, which is his goodness. We mirror him. And when we mirror him, we grow. And so what does it mean to grow in grace? It's the Greek word charis. Charis. Every time a gift is used in the Bible, a spiritual gift of any kind, it is used with the root word charis. Charismata. And so what charismata means is a movement of grace. What does grace mean? What you don't deserve. So we are to grow in the movement of the spirit in love. This is what it looks like to mature. We begin to grow in the movement of the spirit and the foundation of that is love, charismata. Charis is grace, mata is, is uh, you, automatic, it means movement. It's where we get the word automata is movement on its own, mata is movement, so charismata, movement of grace. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is in him and has perfected him. By this we know we are in him. One of the ways we, we, we know we love the Lord and one of the ways we're in God's word and we know, or we know that love is in us is you're hungry for the word of God. And I speak that over you this morning. You're here because you want the word of God. And do you know what the Bible says? It means the love of God is in you because you're hungry for the word of God. If you don't want the word of God, you probably need to examine yourself and see if you're saved. Because it's what it tells you, examine yourself. And why don't I love the, the word? You're here loving the word because I, don't, I told people, I'm not juggling, I'm not spinning plates. You're not here for the great floor show. You know what I'm saying? We teach the word of God. And so you are here because you want the word of God. You're, that's what you're here for. And that, that is, again, it's a testimony unto you. And it's an approval unto you because you're hungry for his word. So if we, know, if, we move, if we grow in maturity, we're to grow in his word. That's the point. We need to love his word. We need to read his word. We need to develop in his word. That's what it means to grow in grace. We grow, understand his word. We love his word. We come from that. We begin to follow the spirit. Okay? Most people can't hear the spirit because the spirit speaks a language. So anybody who's been at Elevate for a long time, what is the language of the spirit? The Bible. The Holy Spirit speaks a language, and it's called scripture. I'm not, somebody's like, tongues? No, that was not a different one. The Holy Spirit speaks a language, and it's called scripture. This is why we can't hear the Lord, because we don't know his language. If you speak Spanish, and I come to you speaking German, I can, without with just, just standing there, not giving you any kind of facial expressions, you're not going to know a clue of what I'm saying if you don't speak German. The Spirit of God cannot communicate with us unless we learn his language. His language is scripture. He bears witness of Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will not, what? Testify of himself. He will testify of me. So he's going to testify of Christ. 
And so who is Christ? Christ is the word of God. That's why when the Holy Spirit does power, when the demonstration of power, it's again, it's a testimony of Jesus, but also when he's speaking to us, he's speaking to us in relevance to the word of God. And so when you want to learn to hear the voice of God, you want to learn to hear his voice and hear what he's saying and begin to understand, you have to begin to understand scripture. He speaks to you with scripture. I used to go out on the streets when I was first born again, and I was like, boom, I was like lit up. I was like, whoa, you know, I was just like, whatever, let's just go for it. And so we'd go out on the beach of Fort Lauderdale, go out there and witness to people. And I was just thinking, I was so crazy. I'd be like, uh, okay, God, you're just going to use me. I'd be like praying. I'd feel the Holy Spirit on me. I'm like, Lord, you're going to use me. And I'd walk up to somebody. I'd be like, now, Lord, go ahead, say it. Do what you want to say. Say what you want to say. Come on, say something. Say something. Nothing would happen. I went home. I was so bummed. I'm like, why didn't you use me, man? I'm like, put myself out there. I went out there. I prayed. I positioned myself. I had a dream. I had a dream that a filing cabinet was opening, and there was all these files in it, and I saw hands going through the files, and there was nothing in the files. And I learned the Lord is only going to use what I put in me. The Lord is only going to speak based upon what I've put in me. And if I've not put anything in the filing cabinet, there's nothing for him to draw on. You know, and that was the point. So I didn't know a lot of verses at the time. And then I started to learn the verses and learn the Bible. And then I'd go out witnessing, and it would be like a machine gun. It would be like anti-aircraft fire. Boom, 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 boom. I'd be like dropping scripture bombs all over the place. How you like me now, you know? So I had to learn. I had knowledge, but I didn't have grace. So I had to learn grace. Anyway, long story. But we have to, we have to grow in his word. That's how we hear the voice of the Lord. We grow in understanding his word. Next slide. We grow in knowledge. So what the Bible's telling us is to grow in grace. It's also calling us to grow in knowledge. What is knowledge? The Bible uses the word knowledge. When it uses this word, what we think of it as is head knowledge. So we fill ourselves with head knowledge. The Bible, when it's speaking in this terms of knowledge, it's talking about experiential knowledge. We, read, we watch videos on riding a bike. Is that going to help you? It's not really going to help you until you actually what? Get on the bike, right? Then you learn how to ride the bike. You learn how to balance. You learn how to pedal. You see if you're faster than your brother or sister, you know. See if you actually need brakes when you're going downhill. You don't know that until you get on a bike and actually start riding it. And so when the Bible tells us to grow in grace, it's telling us to grow in the love and the movement of the Spirit and the language of the Spirit and grow in His Word, but it's also telling us to grow in experience. And there are lots of Christians that don't experience the Lord. He's an experiential God. He's a God of encounter. Okay? He's not an object on the wall. He's not the God of the dead, Jesus said. He's the God of the living. Amen. He's alive. Amen. He encounters you. And so God wants you to grow in experience. And what are some of the ways of experience? And so I'm drilling down on the Radical Five. Just, if you're not familiar with that, I'll, I'll get it another time. But these are all things that relate to that because God is calling us into experience. We experience God through prayer. It's one of the ways you experience the Lord. You experience God through worship. Through worship. Okay? I had someone one time, and it's a, it's a great question. They said, why do you sing? Why do we sing before you teach? I mean, I, I thought to myself, wow, what a great question. Uh, but, you know, I assume that people know that. We sing before we teach because the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Sing unto the Lord a new song. You know, it tells us all of these places of entering into God's presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. So we sing. Why? The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So as we sing and we worship, you begin to experience his presence. That's the point of worship, guys. So when we're worshiping, that peace, that warmth, 
those little goosebumps that you're feeling, that, woo, wow. I haven't been drinking, but I feel a little drunk here this morning. Do I look a little tipsy to you? You know, I mean, all of that is the spirit of the Lord. It's his presence and his grace coming upon you. But what you have to do is you have to enter into that. You have to enter into that. And we teach Christians to pull back. When the Bible says lean in, I just got to chill. I better lean back. I'm getting a little crazy here. I just got to chill. Run down my arm. I might be singing a little too much here this morning. I might calm down. Better calm down. When the Bible says lean into that, the fullness of the Spirit. Release the fullness. Let it flow. Mm. Let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow. That's what it means. Come into his presence. Experience him. That's the point of worship. We experience God through prayer. We pray and we experience him. We pray and he answers. I see old Jeff over here. I told him I was praying for him this week and he comes in. You know, I don't know him, but anyway, I'm going to call you out, Jeff. And he comes in and he, and he comes in today and I told him I was praying for you this week. And he was like, wow, and here I am. You know, it's crazy. We experience God through prayer. We pray and something happens. We experience him through worship. It's how we experience him. We experience him through committing and connecting to church. How do we experience him there? You're experiencing family. We're one big happy family. And so, you know, every family's dysfunctional. Aren't you glad? And so I'd like to welcome you this morning to Jesus' dysfunctional family. Welcome to the dysfunctional family of God. This is the truth. We're messed up people. That's what it is. We're not not messed up. And it doesn't mean we stay messed up, but the first step in becoming whole, if anything, or any of you are into addictions recovery, is actually acknowledge that you're screwed up. That's step one to becoming whole. We're messed up. So it's okay. We pretend in churches that, it's not, that we're not messed up. We think it's, you know, you know, Biffy and Ben, and, you know, we're all at the polo club, and everything's nice and neat and squeaky clean all the time. That's not the reality of most Christian homes. That's not the reality of my home. I heard a pastor one time going, when I wake up in the morning, I like to wake up my kids by whistling a tune, Jesus Loves Me. And so he began to walk on the stage whistling, Jesus Loves Me. And he says, and as I whistle, Jesus loves me, my children wake up and they join me in this chorus of whistling, Jesus loves me, until all of their siblings come and join. And I'm looking at the dude going, who are you, man? Who are you people? I'm like, that's not my home. My home's like this. Hey, got to get up. Come on. Got to go to school. Come on. We got to wake up. I don't know if that's you. Sherry, where's the towels? Where are the towels? In the drawer. <laughs> Did you take my hair barrette? No, why, why do you need your hair barrette? <laughs> Welcome to the family. In the family, you're going to experience friendship, discipleship, and inconvenience. That's what the church is for, relationship. You say, people irritate me because God is teaching you patience. That's the only way you learn patience is being around irritable people. Lord, I just need to grow in patience, and then everybody's annoying you. <laughs> you know? That's how we learn. And in commitment and connection to church, we learn inconvenience. So you know the things Jesus asks of us are inconvenient for us. Many of you, you drive great distances, you brave traffic, you do all of the things because you love the Lord, and it's not convenient for you to do it. But you do it anyway. And you know why? Because that's what the Lord calls us to inconvenience he calls you to be part of a home fellow or a cell group you say well why would that's real inconvenient for me man Tuesday night my shows on you know I mean he calls you to inconvenience that's what he does 
And why does he call you to inconvenience? To teach you, ready, let's just say it together. It's not about me. He teaches you to be a servant. He teaches you to be submissive. He teaches you to yield by asking you to do the things you don't want to do. That's what he does. But you know, in doing so, he's actually maturing you. And that's what commitment and connection to church is. Some of you are already tapping your watch. You're inconveniencing me right now, Kevin. You're over, over time. Uh, I'm just the last slide, so don't worry. I'm almost there. <laughs> but inconvenience is part of the process. Financially giving. He calls you into financially giving to experience the power of God operating in your finances. I had friend, somebody tell me this week, you know, uh, I'm in between jobs. I have a job starting in this date and not, but I'm here and I'm doing this. And what, what am I supposed to do? I don't know if I have the money to give. I just tell people, look, I put the standard up there and I tell you, you figure it out with your own conscience. You're a big person. You're a mature person. I don't need, I can't do all the thinking. You got to do some thinking here too. And I teach my kids this simple principle and we can say it together. When in doubt, honor the Lord. If there's ever any question, always honor God. And God always calls you to give, never out of a point of abundance. People that are riding high and riding on the high tails never become tithers. They probably have tithed and now they're at that place, but they don't become tithers at that level. Usually people that understand God's financial plan are usually in need because they're calling out to God, Lord bless me, and the Lord said, this is the plan. Begin to give. I can't afford to give. I can't afford not to. I mean, that's the point. When in doubt, honor the Lord. That's the point. So financially give, we experience the miracle power of God. And this person gave, and then I'm not saying it works this fast, but this person gave, and they got a job offer that Friday. And I never told them to give. I just simply said, this is the standard. This is what God calls us to. He calls us out of a place of sacrifice, and he calls us to do it. And you figure it out. But I live by a motto, when in doubt, honor the Lord. And I use that in every sphere of my life. You know, should I go to church today? Does not going to church honor the Lord? When in doubt, honor God. That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Does this honor the Lord or does it not? Should I go out with these people and do these things? Does it honor the Lord or does it not? That's the question. That becomes a governing principle of our life, you know? So we experience it in, in giving. We experience these things. And then living on mission. We experience joy. What does living on mission mean? Okay, we do these things because we're mirroring his glory. Jesus is the word of God. He knew the word of God. He shared the word of God. So we should know the word of God. We should share the word of God. Why? Because we're mirroring. Jesus prayed, Jesus interceded, Jesus did all kinds of crazy things, cool things, and so if Jesus did it, we should mirror it. Jesus had an intimate connection with church and with the house and with the family within the faith community, and so we should mirror that. Jesus financially gave, he carried a money box, in case you didn't know that. Jesus wasn't poor, wasn't beggar, wasn't destitute. Nowhere do we read Jesus was begging for foods, hey, somebody get spare a dollar. You don't read that. They had so much money, disciples didn't even know Judas was stealing. Study it out. It was like, hey, man, we had $5.95 in there yesterday, Judas. We only got $3.95 in there. We need $5.95 to buy chicken nuggets, man. You, where'd, the, where'd the $2 go, Judas? Where'd it go, man? No, there was plenty. Plenty. You don't believe it? You should read it. He became poor. He lowered himself. For God to become a human and take on sinful flesh is poverty in and of itself. He chose a life of denial, intentional denial, to return you to an access point of what you were called to have. There's provision. Provision. God is a God of provision. God is a God of abundance. God is a God of blessing. Never forget that. 
live on mission. What does that mean? It means that Jesus, it means identifying people in your world that are one of two things. They don't know Christ or they're not connected to a church. Christians that are not connected to a church are called spiritual orphans. You are called to connect to a church, right? You guys, Satan roams around like a roaring lion. Anybody heard that one? Okay, you ever watch Lions, Wild Kingdom? Who do they look for? They look for the dude that's over here chewing on grass, doing his own thing. The crowd's over there. He's like, oh, I don't need to be in the crowd. What's that furry gold thing moving over there in the grass? Oh, I don't know, you know? That's what the lion's looking for. The lion's looking for the one that breaks from the herd, that breaks from the pack. He's looking for the one that isn't connected to a family, to a community. We live on mission, so we look for the people who don't know Christ, and we look for the people who are not committed and connected to a church. And what do we do? We pray for them. We consciously invite them. We call them into the places where they need to be. If they don't know Jesus, bring them to Easter's coming. This is what I wanted you to know. Easter's coming in about five weeks. And so Easter's a great opportunity to invite people to church. Jesus wants people saved, in case you didn't know that. He wants people to become born again. He wants as many people as he can possibly harvest under his influence. That's what he wants. And so when we pray, when we invite people to church, they come to church. And most people come to Christ in the context of a community proclamation. It's just statistics. So what does it mean? It means when you invite someone to church and the gospel's given, that's usually the majority of people who become born again came to, came to Christ inside of a church context or through an altar call or whatever, some kind of format like that. Not everyone, but the, the vast majority tend to come to Christ through the context of the church or through that, that type of thing. That doesn't mean you don't individually witness. Of course you do, if you can, if you feel gifted in that way. If not, then you need to be an Andrew and you need to invite. We're all to do something. If you can speak, speak. If you can invite, invite. But everybody does something. That's the point. Jesus sought and saved the lost, so what are we supposed to do? Seek and save the lost, right? That's what we're supposed to do, we do the same things he did. So, and by, so what, is it, what is the point? So the vision is, get a reading plan. How do I get a reading plan, Kevin? How do I get a reading plan? And some of you, uh, I teach these things consistently throughout the year. You're like, oh, I've heard this before. Well, then you should have it all figured out then, shouldn't you? If you heard this before, you should be doing real well with it. Get a Bible reading plan. There's a, there's a Bible app called YouVersion, best one I've seen by far. Uh, that's in my modest opinion. But you can get, go to YouVersion. You put it on your phone, put it on your tablet, put it on your computer. If you don't want to carry around a Bible with you, you put it on your phone. You can actually program a reading plan inside that app, and it'll pop up. So if you want to read the book of John in 21 days, it'll give you the book of John in 21 days. It'll be Wednesday. You're supposed to read John chapter 5. I turn my phone on. Bam, John chapter 5 is up. It does, and, and guess what? If you don't want to read it, it'll play it for you in audio. I mean, what more do you want? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it'll spoon feed you if you need it. You know? I mean, it's like, so there's no excuse for us to not be reading and learning and growing in the Bible. So we need to get a plan prayer plan. What does it look like to get a prayer plan? Learn prayer. Read prayer. Get books on prayer. Study prayer. Get in prayerful environments. Get around people who are actually praying. Learn it. Prayer is, a, prayer is an acquired language. You can learn prayer. They said, Jesus teaches to pray. They had to watch him. He told them, watch me and pray. Watch what, do what I do. Learn it. So we get a prayer plan. We begin to identify things and develop and grow in prayer. A commitment and a connection plan. What does that mean? It's intentional. Make a decision. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be involved in church. I'm going to commit to a home foul. I'm going to make these commitments. I'm going to grow. I'm going to go to essentials, whatever. Make a commitment. It's not going to happen for you. You have to be intentional. 
And you have to look at it and you go, okay, I can't do everything, but I can do some things and I need to do, so I'm gonna commit to these things. You have to do that. It takes your commitment in order for it to happen. Somebody said destiny shows up wearing work clothes. You got that right. Destiny's knocking, door opens, Jesus is there with work clothes on going, let's get to work. You know, we're like, oh, well, I didn't think it was going to require work. You know, I'm, I got, I'm, I'm scheduled for a nap at noon, Jesus. I mean, I mean, it's like I didn't think, you know, you're going to show up in Carhartt and Dickies overalls. I wasn't sure that was what's going to go on. So you have any giving plan. Have you determined a giving plan? Are you going to give? Is it an intentional thing in your mind and in your heart? This is why we don't experience the things of God, because we don't know the primary colors. This is the primary colors of your faith. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, give, and live on mission. You'd be shocked how many Christians don't know that. You'd be shocked how many Christians don't actually operate. This is the key to your destiny. You want the key to your destiny? If you want the key to heaven's destiny, these five things have to be operative in your life. I have never seen anyone achieve anything in, of any greatness or of any stature or of any significance in and through the kingdom of God without those things being active in some form in their life. Won't happen. Won't happen. Because the wheel keeps glitching because you don't have all the spokes correct. This is the wheel that the kingdom runs on. Reading and knowing your word. Prayer, commitment, connection, family plan, giving, living on mission, releasing, going and reaching people. It's the whole point. Does that make sense? So what's the, what's the challenge? You say, dude, five things is overwhelming to me. Well, pick two. Pick three. And once you got two or three working, then pick in another, bring in another four. But start laying them down. You got a commute going to work, man? Put that U version on. You just get it in your, just hit it. If you listen to, if you listen, if you have a 30-minute commute, you probably go through five chapters of the Bible in 30 minutes at least. You probably go through seven chapters of the Bible in 30 minutes on audio. Boom, 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 boom. I listened to like four books one day. I was here. I was like, wow, we're in, we're in Malachi already? How do we get to Malachi? You know, I just turn the audio on and let the Bible start playing, you know? You'd be shocked. Prayer plan. Just beginning to pray. Just simple prayers. Get, read, read prayers, write prayers, just do something. Show up. Somebody said show up is 50% of success, is showing up. Hello, show up. Begin to give. You say, I can't give 10%. Can you give 1%? So I tell Christians, we have no excuses whatsoever. I can't give a tithe, Kevin. It's too much. It's way over my head. Can you give 1%? Can you give 3%? Can you give 5%? Can you give 7%? Can you believe God to grow you? Can you start with where you're at and believe God to grow you according to your faith, so be it unto you? But I always challenge people. I'm like, you know, we got satellite TV, but we can't give the Lord. We've got new cars, but we can't give the Lord. We live in paneled and, you know, sky-rise apartments, but we can't give the Lord. We got cell phones that we can talk to Europe on, but we can't give the Lord. You know, somewhere along the line, I say high karate. You got to go to the mirror and give yourself some high karates and tell you to get your priorities in order. You got to get your priorities in order. My attitude is if Jesus is who he says he is, I'm going to put him to the test. And he's okay with it. My attitude was when I get saved, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was doing all those things, I was fasting, I was hammering it, man. Whatever he told me to do, I wasn't making a show of it, but I was saying this is what I want. And I told myself, I didn't have any money, but I said if I have to eat ramen noodles and live in my car, I will give. I will give. I will give, I will give, I will give. And there are times when my hand would be shaking a bit. But I gave, you know, and that, that's, that's how we experience God, how we experience God. I would reach out to people. I didn't reach out to people and go and witness to people and invite people to church because I felt like it. If you're waiting to, for the feeling to invite someone to church or tell someone about Jesus, wait. The feeling, say it with me, the feeling, the feeling. is never going to come. 
Well, I just was waiting for the feeling. The feeling never showed up. The Bible says lay your life down for your friends. No one feels like laying their life down. You don't feel like, hey, let me put my head on the block. Go ahead, cut, it, cut my head off. That sounds great. You know? No one feels like that. You have to do it intentionally. Intention has to come into play here. So we're going to take communion. We're going to close the service this way. I love you guys. I pray you received from this message this morning. And um, but we're going to close out this way. Yes, thank you. Uh, if we have attendance for the communion, if you if you if you know, if that's you, if you would come and just take your place. If not, then maybe a couple of guys would do so. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little prayer, and then we're going to after uh, Jody's going to play, and then if you would make your way around and just bring the cracker and the juice back to your seat with you, we'll take it together. And the purpose of communion again is God is an experiential God, and He gave us this act so that we could experience and know and bond to what he did for us. And so the cracker, the, the, the bread without yeast, ah, thank you, is, is representative of his body. And the juice is representative of his blood. Jesus gave his body and he gave his blood. The significance of I've given everything. And so we want to honor that and we want to remember that. So as we pray, I'm going to pray. And then if as just make your way up around the outside and bring it back and then we'll, we'll do a little bit more and then I'll just very brief and then we'll pray and we'll take it together. So Father, we just thank you again this day, I thank you for the love that you have for these people and the blessings that you've placed upon their hearts. Lord, bless our time together. Bless these elements. Bless this, uh, this opportunity that we have to remember you, Lord. And we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.